Second Peter chapter number three. We're going to start down in verse number fourteen in a moment. Last time we looked at Second Peter, we saw the need to live diligent lives for God and lives that will bring honor and glory to Him. And tonight we'll finish off our series on Second Peter. Last few verses here. So Second Peter chapter number three, and we'll start in verse fourteen to the end of the chapter. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found of Him in peace without spot and blameless, and account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, have written unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable wrestle, as they do also the other scriptures, unto their own destruction. Ye therefore, beloved... Seeing ye know these things before, beware lest ye also be led away with the error of the wicked. Fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in grace. In the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to him be both glory, both now and forever. Amen. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Dear Jesus, thank you for another time to look into your word. And Lord, as we finish off this Second uh, Peter, Lord, this uh, great book of encouragement for us to be diligent uh, Lord, we live in a, a time when there's many false things. and uh, Lord, I pray that we would stand for truth and be diligent about it. And Lord, I pray you watch over us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so in these verses, verse 15 and 16, we need to be diligent to win the lost. To win the lost. Second uh, Peter 3, 5 is ties in with Second Peter 3, uh, 9, where Peter explained why the Lord had delayed his fulfilling his promise God had every uh, reason long ago to judge the world, to burn up it, what's, what it is. But He's merciful and long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. This is the day of salvation, amen? People still can come to the Lord. There's still salvation to be had. Not the day of judgment yet. It will come, but not yet. And Peter makes reference to Paul's uh, epistles, Paul's writing in these verses as well, because it's Paul more than any other New Testament writer, uh, especially in Romans and Ephesians, who explains God's plan for mankind. He really lays it out. And Paul explains the relationship between Israel and the church. He pointed out that God used the nation of Israel to prepare the way for the coming of the Savior. But Israel rejected its king and asked him to be crucified. So did that destroy God's plan? No, it did not. God's plan still unfold. God is still saving Jews and Gentiles alike today. Amen. He's still saving folks, still people coming to him. And God still has a plan for Israel. All right. We need to be careful in this day and age. There is a lot of error, erroneous teaching and preaching that Israel has no God doesn't have a plan for Israel. That's not true. Israel has a very specific plan for God. God has a plan for it. And uh, we need to be careful that we don't fall into some uh, doctrine and, and things that teach differently than that. God has a plan, all right, for Israel. And it hasn't yet unfolded, but it has a plan. For centuries, if a Gentile wanted to be saved, he had to come through the way of Israel. All right, the same attitude persisted even when the church first got started. Back in Acts chapter 15, that whole chapter talks about it. And uh, Paul made it clear that both Jews and Gentiles stand condemned before God and both must be saved. 
by Jesus Christ. That's it. No other way. There's not two ways. Only one. And in Jesus Christ, saved Jews and Gentiles belong to the body, the church. Amen? Uh, and local called out assemblies, the mystery that God had laid out. And that's what God has for us. Now, we see the word here um, in verse 16. Would stay that were unlearned and unstable wrestle. All right? And this is not where, um, you know, you play with your kids and you wrestle. Uh, you know, you know, having fun. You know, I can remember lots of times trying to take my dad down. And uh, I can't do it anymore, but I'm pretty sure he still could take me, my dad. All right? But the idea is that this is not what it's talking about. This is talking about, that word means to torture on the rack. To distort and pervert. So people are unstable, wrestle with the Scriptures. They do also the other Scriptures. In Paul's day, there were those who were twisting his word, the word of God, and trying to define or defend their ignorance. They accused Paul of teaching that uh, since we were saved by grace, it makes no difference how we live. Well, that's not true. There's a big difference. If we know Jesus Christ is our Savior, we don't want to live like the world anymore. Because we're different now. And most heresies, most heresies are perversion of some fundamental doctrine of the Bible. The false teacher takes a few verses, so he takes that verse and it gives it legitimacy. Because we hear that verse like, oh, that's in the Bible. Well, no, you need to understand what they're trying to say. They take these few little verses and they take them out of context. They twist the Scriptures. They actually make their own doctrines. They manufacture them. And they're contrary to the Word of God. Peter definitely had false teachers in mind when he's talking about this. But he was warning us too for our good. For our good. Because there's lots of them around today. Just like there was back in Peter and Paul's day. And we must accept the teaching of the Scripture and not try to make them say what we want them to say. Because then, if we do that, we're not following God's Word. We're trying to take God's Word and place it inside our little box. Yesterday at our men's breakfast, Pastor Wasi told us about, or talked to us about, trying to put God, or we see that people trying to put God in the little box and say, that's my God. No, and shouldn't we shouldn't take the Scriptures and try to put it in a little box. No, the Scripture is for us to learn and to live by. And note that Peter classified Paul's letters as Scripture in verse number 16 as well. That means the inspired Word of God. Amen? Scripture, that's what it means. Not only did the teaching of the apostles agree with the prophets of our Lord, but they agreed with each other. Because you know there's liberal scholars out there, there's people who tear down Christianity today who say that, oh, there's a difference between Peter and Paul, and there's a difference between Peter's Word and what the Word of God, or what the, what the Lord said. Listen, they agreed. They were in agreement on Jesus Christ. They were in agreement on who He was and what He is and what He's doing and His plan. They were in agreement. What happens to those people who blindly twist the Scriptures? Look, look at the end of verse number 16. Unto their own destruction. Now, Peter's not writing about Christians who have a difficult time interpreting the Word of God. Having a problem with a certain passage. Because everybody... No, I shouldn't say not everybody. Nobody knows all the Bible perfectly. 
Now, I can't tell you how many times I have read through the Bible. I'm not, I'm not saying that so you can come to me after and pat me on the back and say, well, you're a good pastor. You read through the Bible so many times. No, I want to be in God's Word. I want to learn it. You know, every time I read it, I see something a little bit different. It's not because I have a new set of glasses on either. All right? Because this book, it's alive. It's alive. It changes lives. So every time I get in it, I'm reading, I'm like, oh, I didn't see that before. That's amazing. And you, if, if we, if you got saved when you were two years old and you lived for 82 years and 80 years you read the Bible every day, you would find something new every day. Isn't that amazing? That's totally amazing. So there's no way that we'll totally understand all what the Bible says perfectly. What this is referring to here, those who wrestle the scriptures unto their own destruction, these are false teachers who torture the Word of God to prove their false doctrines. That's what's being referred to here. And the word destruction is a very, very negative, very serious word. It means damnable and perdition destroyed. It means rejection of eternal life, which results in eternal death. Since this is the day of salvation, we must be diligent to do all we can to win the lost. Amen? There's so many people to be reached. We don't know how long the Lord will be long-suffering, but we must not presume on His grace or assume. We must understand that we have a great message to preach and to teach, and we need to be motivated to reach the lost. So let's be diligent in that requirement of the Lord, that commission He's given to us. And let's remember as we're reaching the lost, there is a multitude, sadly, of false teachers out there who are spreading their destructive doctrine. And if we're going to be the witness the Lord would want us to be and be the most effective, we're not going to need to be in God's Word to know the truth. We're going to need to be in it. And so then have wit- and bear witness of the saving grace of Jesus Christ in our own lives. That's how we're going to be the best witness we can be in this day and age. Be diligent to grow spiritually. Be diligent to grow spiritually. Verse number 17, Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. There are four beloved statements in Second Peter chapter 3, that the whole chapter. And they kind of summarize what Peter is trying to get across to us as he closes out this letter. Beloved, be mindful. That's in verses 1 and 2. Beloved, be not ignorant in verse number 8. Beloved, be diligent. Verse number 14. And then the last one here in verse number 17 is, Beloved, beware. 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 It means to be constantly guarding yourself. Be watching out. And Peter's readers knew the truth. They've been instructed in the truth. But he warned them that knowledge alone was not sufficient protection. Just knowing. They had to be on guard. They had to be alert. It's easy for people who have knowledge of the Bible to grow overconfident and to forget the warning. The Word of God says, Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. We need to be careful. Watching out. You know, it's, I, I think about that word and I, th- I think of a mom at the playground. Okay, she's watching out. She's guarding. 
you know, making sure there's no, no funny business going on underneath the slide over there. You know, making sure the little one on the swing has got her, him herself in there the right way. And they've been instructed, don't you jump off that swing when you're up in the air. You know, you moms know what I'm talking about when you go, you know, when your kids were little. You know, the idea you're watching over. And we need to be doing the same thing. Why? Why did Peter tell us that? What's going on? Why would he instruct us to do that? Because we need to watch out because there's danger. There's danger. The true believer, the danger is that true believers will be led away into the air of the wicked. There in verse number 17. He's warning us about breaking down the walls of separation that stand between true believers of Jesus Christ and the false teachers. It happens. It's so sad. You know, there cannot be unity between truth and error. Unity can't happen between truth and error because they're diametrically opposed. They can't mix. There can't be unity. There can't be a oneness between those two things. And the apostates live in error. And the true believers need to be living in the sphere of truth. So we need to be watching out. And listen, I'm not going to bring up case studies of the past, but it's so sad to see churches that once stood for the truth who decide to hold hands with a false teacher or with a false church that does not believe in Jesus Christ and their church gets dragged down to the mud. It's not like it just happened once or twice. It happens often and it's sad. And we need to be watching out. Beware. Looking out. Guarding. The word wicked here in verse number 17 means lawless. And as we've gone through Second Peter, Peter has, doesn't lay it back. He doesn't hold back. He just brings it right to the table and says, apostates are wicked. They're lawless. And they don't care. They speak evil authorities. They speak evil of those who enforce God's uh, will and God's laws and and speak evil of the authorities in the physical realm. They they just speak evil. They promise converts freedom. We looked at that a few weeks ago, maybe a couple months ago now. False freedoms. They say, oh, take do this, do this, and you'll have freedom. And it turned out that their freedom leads to bondage. There's no freedom. If anything, there's chaos of mind and bondage to a system of belief. True Christians cannot fall from salvation. Amen? If you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, you've come to a point in your heart where you repented of your sin, you trust in Jesus, you're part of the family of God, you cannot lose your salvation. I am so glad for that eternal security doctrine. I am so glad for that. It's in God's Word. So, what does Peter refer to when he says, fall from your own steadfastness? Well, that's not salvation. The idea of that is stability. Being established in the truth. And we need to watch out that we don't fall from that. The stability of Christian comes from his faith in the Word of God, his knowledge of the Word of God, and ability to use the Word of God in the practical decisions of life. I certainly hope that as you make decisions in your life, that you refer to God's Word about what you should do and you shouldn't. It's supposed to be our guide. It's supposed to be a lamp unto our feet. We need to be referring to this and asking God to give us wisdom from His Word and what we should do. One of the greatest tragedies of evangelism is bringing a spiritual babe into the you know, out of the world in the sense that we see someone get saved. Praise the Lord. Isn't it great to lead someone to Jesus Christ? It is wonderful. 
It is awesome. It is it's one of the greatest thrills that I have in the ministry to see that happen. And you don't have to be just in the ministry to see that happen. You can be witnessing to people too. All right? You can lead people to Jesus Christ. But it's so exciting. But that's not where it ends. Just to see them get saved. Oh, I'm so glad you're saved now. See you, see you later, Joe. I'll, I'll see you in heaven. And the guy was just born in the family. He's a babe. And we would never leave a baby uh, in a very unprotected place. We wouldn't leave them in anywhere but a place that's safe. The apostates pray on these young babes of Jesus, these young believers, and they pray on them and, and, and bring them away, and bring them into error of the Word, you know, in the sense of their Word, not the Word of God. They pray on them, on error. New believers need to be taught the basic doctrines of the Word of God, amen? And the church is where it needs to be taking place. You need to be um, putting yourself into the life of people and showing them the truth. We need to be steadfast. How can we as believers maintain our steadfastness and avoid being among the unstable souls? How, how do we do that? Well, we do that by growing spiritually. Growing. Growing. And constantly growing. Not in these spurts. You, 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 I don't know if you've ever seen this with people who in the spiritual realm. You know, one day they're really low, 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 low. Then they, whoa, 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 up here. Ever see that? I've seen it. Now, the idea of constant growth is that we're just going a little bit more every day. A little bit more. That's not to say we don't have ups and downs, because let's be honest, we do. But the idea is that we're constantly growing. It's not like, oh, for six months this year, I'm going to grow spiritually and then I'm going to take a pause. No, we need to be constantly growing. A constant experience of development. That's what should be our goal. We must grow in grace. Verse 18, but grow in grace. That is part of the, that should be part of our Christian character. Grace. Being gracious. And Paul wrote about that. We are saved by grace, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. But the grace doesn't end there, amen. Uh, we have uh, strength by grace, Second uh, Timothy 2. Uh, God's grace enables us to endure things that come into our life. His grace helps us get through difficult times. And sing when singing is difficult by His grace. Have you ever been in that place where it's a really tough, really tough situation? And it's, you find it hard to sing. I, I like to sing. I like to hum a tune and, uh, and make up my own songs. Now, I, I don't do it much around my kids anymore because they get, often roll their eyeballs at me like, oh, Dad, how embarrassing. That's fine. I'll do it in my own car and I'm yelling and screaming. I'm oh, not screaming, but I'm singing at the top of my lungs in my van. I'm pretty sure on the 401 sometimes people are getting ready to phone the police like there's some crazy guy going down the road. Okay. The idea of just lifting my voice to the Lord. Sometimes that's hard though, isn't it? When your heart is heavy, when there's problems, God gives us the grace. He gives us His grace. The God of all grace who giveth grace unto the humble. Manifold grace of God. By grace of God, I am what I am. You know, that's not to say that I can't be better who I am, but by God's grace, I am what I am. God can help me be better. We never really experience the grace of God, though, until we come to the end of our own resources. 
If you can say, oh, I got this figured out. I'll take care of this all on my own. Well, you never really get to experience God's grace. When you get to the place where you don't have anything else left, when you are empty, you are broken, that's when we really learn the lessons in the school of grace. They're costly lessons, aren't they? But boy, are they worth it because we learn so much. We learn so much. We must grow in knowledge as well. In verse number 18. Uh, it, it, how easy is it to grow in knowledge but not in grace? And we need to be, we need both. We need knowledge and grace. Uh, knowledge without grace is a terrible weapon. I can have all kinds of knowledge and come at you with no grace and I'm just slashing and cutting. Oh, you don't know this. Blah, 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 blah. I wouldn't have too many people coming to my door saying, hey, Pastor, can you give me a hand with something? And then on the other side, if it's all grace with no knowledge, I'm pretty shallow. No, grace and knowledge work together. Amen? We need both. We need both to be going forward. We need to be working on that. And they're marvelous tools to build our lives. And help us in our personal life. To help us grow our relationships. Help us build our homes. And help us build our church. They're great tools. I'm pretty sure you can think of some people right now, maybe they're older folks, uh, more mature in the faith, whatever the case is, and you think, you know what? That man, that lady, she's so gracious, and she has so much knowledge. She's such an encouragement to me. You know what? We can all strive to be like that person. It's just not them who got the corner on it. We all can be examples of it. Just not in the knowledge of the Bible, though. And in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's good to know the Bible, amen? It is fantastic to know the Bible. It is wonderful. But in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know what this verse is telling us? Just don't know the Bible, but know the theme, the central theme of the Bible. That's Jesus. Know Him. Know Him. Knowing Him changes everything. Know Him. That's what we're, we're supposed to do. That's what Peter's encourages us to grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So the separate Christian must be constantly, must constantly be guarding himself. He's guarding himself so he won't be led astray into error, into something that's wrong. And he's constantly growing in grace and in knowledge. You know what that requires? That requires diligence, does it not? It requires effort. It requires Discipline. It requires us to have the right priorities. You know, nobody, nobody. I've been in the ministry now for 20 years. I was a couple of years of Bible college helping at Pastor McLean's church there in Hamilton, New Testament Baptist Church. And uh, this coming August, uh, I will be 18 years full-time ministry. I have never met one person who drifts into spiritual growth. Because when you drift... There is no direction. There is no direction when you drift. I can think of a kid, uh, uh, this little, uh, I was out to my family reunion in Newfoundland this past summer in a place called port And uh, there was a little, they call it old port where the French settlers first came. And, and it, was a, it was a perfect little harbor, perfectly sheltered. And I remember going up, growing up as a kid, going down there to visit my grandma. And uh, we would be throwing sticks out there. 
You know, those sticks I threw, they had no way of guiding themselves anywhere. They just drifted wherever the currents took them. Some of them just went across the bay. Some of them went out into the ocean. They had no power. They just drifted. You will not drift. You will not drift into growth or dedication. You will not. Yeah, young people, uh, older folks, whoever you are, you just can't say, I'm just going to put it on cruise control. You're drifting and you will not drift closer to Jesus Christ. You will drift away from Him. That's what will happen. Uh, just as boats need an anchor. You know, I can remember watching as my uncles would come in with their boats. Some of them had big long liners. They would drop the anchor so their boats wouldn't drift end up on rocks or end up out of the harbor or whatever. We have an anchor. His name's Jesus Christ. And His Word. And we need an anchor so we don't drift away. We need to be on the solid rock. We need that. You know, physical growth and spiritual growth, you know, they follow pretty much the same pattern. You know, they follow the same one. To begin with, uh, we grow as newborn babes. You know, as we get a little child and he it needs help, right? Uh, and a little fellow who's just born, a couple days old, he doesn't tell you what he needs, does he? Because if you did, you'd probably drop him and run away. They're not speaking yet. They don't know what to do yet. They don't know how to feed themselves, dress themselves, take care of themselves. They are totally helpless. Totally. And when someone gets saved, they're not very much different than when a person gets born. They're born again, Right? They don't know anything about the Word of God. If they do, their knowledge is very limited. They need spiritual food. They need exercise that will enable them to develop. They need a vision. They need to understand the direction that they need to be going. They need to be nurtured. Amen? They, They need it. We grow best in a loving family. And our church... Needs to be. I'm not saying we're not, but we need to be a loving church family. When that person gets saved and they're trying to serve Jesus and they're, 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 they're making that effort, and even if they're not making that effort, we should be making an effort to connect with them and say, you need to know more. Let me show you from God's Word what this means. Let me instruct you in the way of righteousness. A baby needs a family for protection, for provision, and affection. And it's no different when someone gets saved. They need all the same things. Actually, there's been tests proven that babies who are raised alone, without love, without any kind of, uh, you know, that special protection and provision, tend to develop physical and emotional problems very early. I read that this week, and I'm, I'm thinking, you know what? That makes sense because I know some Christians who have very hard problems just doing what's right. They never received that instructions when they first got saved. They've been inundated with all kinds of different weird and wild error uh, doctrine. And they have a hard time. That They have problems in serving. Listen, our church needs to be a nursery. Amen? A nursery for those new believers who come to Christ. And we show them this is, this is the way we need to live. We show them care and we feed them as Christians. This is God-ordained environment for that. Here. Not out there. In the church. Now, I'm not saying that you don't ever disciple someone outside of the church house. That's not what I'm saying. But the church was designed by God to do that exact thing. We're all part of the church, amen? 
That means we all have a part to play in this. You know, helping that new believer understand, move forward. It's important that we grow in a balanced way. The human body grows in a balanced way with the various limbs working together. Likewise, the spiritual man must grow in a balanced way as well. We must grow in that knowledge and that grace. That worship and service and faith and works. It's not balanced if all we do is get them to sit there in a pew and listen to all the preaching. We won't let them get involved. That's not balanced. We're teaching them that you don't need to do anything. Hey, there's lots to do, amen? There's lots of things to do. There's lots of ministry. There's lots of opportunities. And there's some ministries that we haven't got off the ground yet because there's no one to do it or can't do it yet. Well, let's, let's charge up the troops. Let's, let's motivate. Let's, let's learn and teach and go forward. A balanced diet of the Word of God along with serving Jesus Christ, that's going to give us a balanced growth. We need that. So if you're here this evening and maybe your, your diet's a little bit, a lot more Word of God, then there's nothing wrong with it, but you're not doing too much in serving, let me encourage you to get that balanced approach. Serve. Get involved. You know, I'm so glad the Holy Spirit is there to empower us, enable us to keep things in, in balance and, and, and watch and help us not to go to the extremes. Before Peter got saved and before he was filled with the Spirit, he was a man of extremes, don't you think? I don't know if you've read much about Peter in the Old or in the New Testament, but uh, let me just go over a couple of things. He would bear witness to Christ one moment and then he would argue with the Lord the next. Peter, Peter. What are you doing? He refused the Lord, uh, refused to allow the Lord to wash his feet. And then he wouldn't, and then he wanted, uh, him to be washed all over. So one minute, no, the next minute, yes, do everything. He promised to defend the Lord even to death. Yet he did not have the courage to own the Lord before a little servant girl. But when he was filled with the Spirit, Peter began to live a balanced life and he avoided those impulsive extremes. And we have to watch out for those extremes in our lives too, folks. We do. We have to watch out. Allow the Holy Spirit to uh, move and control us and show us the direction we need to go. Because the reality is, if we do not, we're not going to be much different than Peter was in those examples. We need to watch out for that. What's the result of spiritual growth? latter part of verse 18. To Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. We glorify God when we're growing. The Lord's glorified. It glorifies Jesus Christ when we keep ourselves separate from sin and error and and we decide that we're going to grow and we're going to win the lost and we're going to live for God and we're going to show a good testimony. It glorifies Him when we become more like Him. And that's His desire for us. Now, I really enjoyed going through this uh, epistle uh, of Second Peter. I know it's been encouraging to me, but you can't help but be struck by the urgency of the message in this letter, in this uh, letter to uh, the Christians. The apostates are here. False teachers are here. And they're busy. They don't take to, uh, to uh, taking months off. They're busy trying to seduce immature Christians. We must be guarding and growing and glorifying the Lord. That's our responsibility. 
That should be something that's on the top of our priority list. That that's what we want to see happen. And making the most of every opportunity. Hey, I'm not bound to the apostates. The false teacher has not won this battle, amen. The battle is the Lord's and He has won. But He does call me and you to be faithful. And to reach those who are lost. To reach those Christians who have been deceived. Now, let's not miss the opportunity to win the lost and to encourage and strengthen those that are saved. Let's be diligent. Let's beware and be on guard and serve Jesus Christ.